Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from British writer Jimmy McGovern about his recent BBC drama Time, starring Sean Bean and Stephen Graham. And Stephen David, chief executive of Banerjee-owned US prodco Stephen David Entertainment, talks about History Channel docudrama The Titans That Built America. Best known for series including Accused and The Street and issue-led films such as Hillsborough and Care, writer Jimmy McGovern returned to the BBC earlier this month for three-part prison drama Time. He spoke to Michael Pickard about reuniting with actors Sean Bean and Stephen Graham for this ultra-realistic portrayal of British prison life, filming during the COVID-19 pandemic and the importance of the BBC. I've been writing for something like 40 years now, you know. It's a long time, but it's a wee bit special, this one. I think it's very, very good. I really do, you know. And it's not my work that's very, very good. I'm not praising that. It's just there was a wonderful, happy coincidence of all the talents involved, you know. A great cast, a great crew, great director, great editor, great cameraman, everything. And um, I'm really happy with it. Well, I mean, just introduce us to the story, if you can. Well, the story, it's about a British prison uh, and there are lots of people in inside British prisons as you know uh, and it picks up on quite a few stories but there are I, I suppose you'd argue there are two main stories and um, one story is about a character that's played by Sean Bean and he's inside for accidentally killing a man you know it was a total accident well not total uh, I have to say uh, he has a fair burden of guilt but it was an accident you know and he can't atone he doesn't know what to do he can't come to terms with his guilt and it's absolutely ruined his life. And the other story is about a character played by Stephen Graham, who's a very good prison officer. And there are some very good prison officers. And uh, he has a weakness. And it's about a member of his family. And somebody in his prison finds out about this member of his family and uses it against him. And the character then has to decide, does he play by the rules as he has always done? Although he's a flexible man, he's an intelligent man, but uh, he plays by the rules in this prison. Does he play by the rules as as he's always done, or does he break the law? And uh, it's uh, it it goes through, it, it goes through hell because of it. I mean, I was interested there when you when you spoke about the show that it, you didn't say this is about uh, an inmate or this is about a prison guard. You said this is about a British prison, and yeah. and so why was this an arena that you, interested you or, or fascinated you, or or what is it about British prison life that meant that you wanted to tell a story set in that world? I suppose the main rule of prison life, and every everybody. Prefers professors to know this but it's just true really the main rule of prison life is you do not grass uh, and therefore in all in all other walks of life if we came across problems we would have somebody above us to report those problems to unless you're the pope maybe you know you've, there's always somebody above you to whom you can report these problems but in prison if you cannot grass you cannot report that problem so you have to face that problem yourself you know and if it's um, if it's a tougher guy and he's stealing your food say you know that's a major problem you could die uh, so it's uh, it's how you come to terms with that really it's, it's not just that there are other things that go on 
you know, there's there's the system of parole. A prisoner applies for a parole, you know, and um, all the hoops you have to jump through. Uh, not that we go through those hoops. We don't, but we talk about them, you know. Uh, and the uh, the things you have to kowtow to in order to get parole, the rule you have to adhere to to get a letter from home. You do not get original letters from home. They are photocopied because of space, you know. There's also a kind of lukewarm version of restorative justice. So there's a wonderful sequence in which a young man who has killed somebody goes to talk to the parents of the person he killed. And it's a, it's a very powerful scene. So it's, it's, it's a drama series that touches upon lots of aspects of life inside a British prison. And, and, and I guess, you know, you, your previous work would be known for, you know, confronting some issues within British society and, and British institutions. Would, is there something you want to say by the end of episode three? Is there something we as viewers will will take away from what you're trying to say about prison life and maybe where it needs to be improved, perhaps? Well, I think everybody who's been inside a British prison will tell you it's horrible. It's not what the Daily Mail says. You know, it is a horrible experience, uh, especially now in the time of COVID. Even now, there are prisoners being banged up 23 hours a day, and it's all because of COVID. They can't get out because they can't be kept safe. So banged up 23 hours a day and have been for the last 15 months. It's awful. There is not enough meaningful work goes on. There's not enough education. There are people in there who should not be in prison. They should be in the hospital. Everybody knows that. I would say half, or other people argue even more, half the people in a British prison should not be in a prison. They should be in a mental hospital or a hospital. You know, it's an awful environment. And there's a guy I'm talking to who I can't name. And um, he is hailed as a wonderful prisoner, you know, because of what he's what he's gone through, what uh, the crime he committed and how he's reacted to that crime and how he's changed himself, uh, etc. But he will tell you off record, prison didn't do that. You know, it was the time he spent coming to terms with what he did. It was he who did that inside a British prison. But prison did not contribute to him becoming a better man. Did not at all. You know. And, and and we see this world through, I guess, initially through the eyes of Mark, played by Sean Bean. And it's 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 very uh, you paint a very bleak picture of, of prison life. I mean, not just the fractious relationships between the inmates and as Mark kind of gets adjusted to his his new environment, but you know, just some of the sheer acts of violence that that go go on just in the first episode. I mean, how how did you want to introduce Mark to this world, and and did you ever think this is too much, or is this just the reality of the research that you've done that this is the world you've you've created? I don't think it is a wee bit too much. I think possibly a wee bit too much, but. <laughs> I think the essence of TV drama is you have to, you have to leave out the boring bits, you know. And and the stark reality of life in a British prison is it's intensely boring, you know. Uh, and and I think maybe on account of that it does seem a bit eventful. But a lot of that stuff does does go on inside a British prison. There is a there is a fair amount of violence inside a British prison. And there's always a problem with that because you you, you are showing the problems as problems coming from the prisoners, and that's not always the case, of course. There, there are problems imposed upon the prison, upon the prisoners by the prison officers. So, so yes, uh, I could hum and haw all, all about it, but um, yes, undoubtedly, it is and a very eventful drama. Yes, and yeah. uh, and I was interested as well in in episode one. We see. Um, I guess graphics on on Mark's cell wall counting up, you know, day one, day four, 
I mean, what what can you tell us a bit about that device and and how you use that through the three episodes? Because yeah, it goes right away from Mark's first day up to his last day, and then there's a coder. So we we actually watch him enter the prison and we watch him as he leaves the prison, and then there's a small coder on the end one year later, which is when he sees somebody he desperately needs to see. So those days that come up are of enormous help to us because I I tend to ignore time in drama. I kind of leave that to the director and the editor. I know it's a weakness I've got, but using those little captions helps enormously because it allows us to jump enormous amounts of time. And the passage of time is the biggest problem if you're a writer in TV drama, how you show the passage of time. It's very difficult to show in any uncliched way. And then that then suggests maybe that we'll see Sean in a, in a quite a transformative performance, perhaps. You know, it suggests that Mark, who we see on day one, won't be Mark, who we see kind of four, five years later. It's a terrible thing to say isn't it but I think it's the best thing he has ever done I really do feel that but that's not for me to judge his work because I I think I know he's a brilliant actor he really is he's a tremendous actor so we do see him evolve and change enormously yes you know he does and and at the end he makes a tremendous sacrifice too so um, it's a superb performance from him it really is you know the, the the number of hard men he's played he's played tough guys galore hasn't he but he's at his best when he's uh, vulnerable he really is and, and yeah like you say there's uh, that scene in episode 1 where you know someone does take you know his food at lunchtime, and you and you just see see him sort of sitting in his cell with his lonely banana. You know, it's uh, it's quite a it's quite a like you say, it's a very different role for him, and it's a very understated performance, I'd say, because um, you know, there's nothing showy about it, is there? It's just you can feel you sit with him on that bench in the in the courtyard and uh, wonder what's going through his mind. It's quite quite uh, it's very interesting, and and just on the flip side, then with with Eric with um, Stephen's character, and what can you tell us about him? Because he's drawn into a very different predicament, isn't he? I guess by yeah reason of his his position in the prison yes he's he's uh he's a proud man and he's a good prison officer and he's a senior prison officer and he has to make a choice which puts all that at risk and he makes that choice because he loves a certain member of his family but obviously it comes back to haunt him it really does you know it's a trim he too i mean he it's a tremendous performance it really is but he's at his very very best it, it, it you know what he's like as an actor he is absolutely superb but i think he's at his superb best right towards the end when everything comes out it's so moving what he does he moves you to tears he really does and and you know you've, you've worked with both of the actors before but i mean they're, and and i should say they're also executive producers on this so can you talk a bit about just your collaboration with them both in terms of their characters and, and then also how you work with them behind the scenes on, on time? Oh, yeah. It, it's it's always good to work that way with Sean anyway. You know, he, he's he's a shrewd man. He really is a shrewd man. But working with Stephen, it was a revelation because he knows so many actors, particularly Scouse actors. And he was on the phone to them and uh, he was saying, saying things like, you know, don't do that load of tripe that you're thinking of doing. Do this. Do this because it's 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 vital. It's crucial. It's relevant. Relevance. It's it's important, you know. So he talked many of them round, you know. And we're really grateful to him. Really grateful. Yeah, he's a shrewd guy. I think he's going to be some sort of executive producer himself now, isn't he? With his own company or something, is he? Yeah. 
yeah yeah i mean it's amazing how actors are all kind of getting more involved behind the scenes and and not starring in the projects they're creating as well which is interesting so um yeah we'll yeah. look to see what but he's up to <laughs> i think he'd be tremendous at that because he gives people tremendous encouragement you know he, he's he's a great source of help for people behind the scenes he's good and and i mean we should obviously the, the fact that this has been made in the last year with with the pandemic going on i mean what has that been like for you as a writer feel you know writing a very claustrophobic and and um you know tight series in in the middle of a, a situation where maybe you couldn't have people in lots of people in a cell at once or how did the yeah. pandemic affect the show for you oh uh, it, it was quite funny in a way because i hate going to the set i i, I can't i can't stand the shoot i really can't stand it i, I find it, it's either intense or utterly boring you know and there seems to be nothing in the middle so i, I find it difficult but uh because of covid i had every excuse not to go but uh there was a time i had to go and it was um, a big day at shrewsbury prison and um that was a fascinating day but yes we got hit a few times with the covid there was a time when an extra got it and um he'd been in a very close scene with sean bean so we lost sean for something like 10 days we had sean locked up in a hotel bedroom for 10 days now there were lots of other things we could do but it was still a bind you know you know a, a guy like that locked up in a hotel bedroom it, it was a bind, uh, and other bits and pieces like that happened but we overcame them all thank god you know and it doesn't look like like a TV drama series that's been made in a time of COVID. It doesn't look that way at all. And the fact that, you know, you've said this is very much about a British prison, but BBC Studios will be hoping to, to obviously sell it overseas. I mean, why do you think there will be, you know, what are those universal themes or, or story points you think that, that people, you know, wherever they're watching will be able to tap into? I just think it, it nails something. It nails something about prisons. And I and I think what it nails about prisons certainly applies in the United States of America, for instance, also Australia. So I'm sure I'm sure it applies everywhere in the world that, that prison is dispiriting. You know, there are too many people in there. It's too crowded, overcrowded, you know. So um, it speaks about that, but it tells two, not two great stories, lots of great stories, but in the main, two big, powerful stories, which, which are very similar simple you know one story is a man doing his time in prison that's all that is very very simple you know uh, but so vital and important and and not boring at all and um, it, it is you know there's there's no boredom in there at all and i mean when you were doing your research i mean the show is you know it's, it's grounded in, in authenticity and you, and you can really feel you know the the realism in, in in the setting and the language that is used. I mean, what was there anything that surprised you about prison life that you wanted to to make sure you got into the show, or anything you know, any little details that you know had to sort of be part of the show? There were a few things I, I really really liked. I, I really liked the restorative justice scene. Uh, I wanted I wanted that shown, you know, because I'd been there and seen a restorative justice session, uh, but not a session on that scale, of course. I wanted the um, parole hearing to be in there because I think it states quite a few truths about parole what the hidden agenda is other things like that um, there was an awful lot of stuff like that which I thought had to be in there and um, oh yeah yeah there's um, there's a beautiful scene where they all come to visit you know families come to visit and for the first time in the drama series you see a big room full of love and it has it has a profound effect upon me to see these people coming in with their love and embracing these 
prisoners who we've seen treated quite badly at times, you know, and they embrace and hug. And then they all leave and the room is empty again, apart from the officers and the prisoners. And you see the burden come down upon them. This burden drops once more upon them, you know, and they react to what's been said in the visit and then they leave. It's so moving, so moving. And and just finally, I mean... Um, you know, from a, from an international perspective, I mean, you've you've worked a lot with the BBC, and, and at a time when the BBC seems to be kind of under attack almost daily. I mean, as a writer, I mean, how do you consider you know the position of the BBC in terms of drama, and and what do you think that is it that makes it special that maybe if we went to a subscription model or we we turned it into a, a streaming platform that we might lose? Do you think that you've enjoyed you know over the years working there? I, I think the BBC is wonderful. It puts it, it puts on these dramas with, which I I I think are vital. And it puts them on with no adverts whatsoever, you know. And you can you can get really stuck into them. You can get totally hooked without without being interrupted by adverts, you know, a full 59 minutes. I think it's I, th- I think it's absolutely wonderful. I, I love the BBC and you know I'm a working class scouser up in the northwest of England, you know, but I I do love it as an institution. And it's it's full of good people who work hard there, you know. Obviously, you can you, 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 there's the odd idiot, as you know, always there's the odd idiots but overwhelmingly great people working there i'm doing great stuff well what are you working on next can you tell us what what's uh what you're thinking about at the moment i'm finding it very difficult to work um i didn't work at all through covid i did a bit of script editing and uh, bits and pieces like that but i couldn't work through covid and that is not uncommon apparently quite a few writers have been affected in that way mm-hmm. uh, but i've started again now and um i hope to tell the story of a sex offender but that's about all i can say about it uh, but but as of now, I'm finding it very, very difficult indeed. <laughs> and I think it's because I haven't written for 15 months, you know. <laughs> yeah, to get the dust off. And I mean, do you, you know, having, having um, I guess, written, um, you know, biopic stories, you know, looking back on events, you know, in the past, I mean, do you think in, in 20 years we'll be looking back on, on COVID and, and finding stories that you know to lift our spirits from from this terrible time oh, i've never really thought about that because I, i've never given that any thought you know because i wanted to avoid it and <laughs> um, I, I don't want to talk about covid i don't want to show covid on the screen because we see it so much in real life you know so i've never really thought about it i, I suppose it, it, it's bound to happen isn't it yes it, yes it will do but uh, it won't be from me <laughs> i've had enough of the bloody thing Jimmy McGovern, speaking with Michael Pickard. Stephen David is founder and chief executive of Banerjee-owned US prodco Stephen David Entertainment, a company known for docudramas including The Men Who Built America, Sons of Liberty and American Genius. Its latest series, The Titans That Built America, debuted recently on the History Channel in the US and David spoke with Clive Whittingham about the show, how the docudrama genre has evolved and the challenges of producing in lockdown. I'm Stephen David of a company called Stephen David Entertainment. The company was started in 2010. And we do a lot of different programming, but we really specialize in docudramas. The most recent of these was a show that aired over Memorial Day weekend, I believe, called The, the Titans That Built America. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the origins of that project? So in uh, 2012, we released a show called The Men Who Built America, which was all about the robber barons and the industrial revolution and that show did really well so this actually is the follow-up to that 
So we pick up where that left off. That really left off at the beginning of the 20th century. And this one picks up there and goes through the end of World War II. So there's one of the characters from the first one continues, and then the rest of them are the the next generation that comes in. So the characters are Ford, Boeing, DuPont, Chrysler, J.P. Morgan Jr., among others. We sort of cover, we go from the Industrial Revolution, which are really like, you know, in the first one we did like steel, oil, those, you know, railroads, to this was really the age of the machine. Cars, planes, that kind of stuff. Like you say, these projects are kind of hybrid docudramas. It's almost a genre in it in itself can you talk a little bit how you've come to craft that genre how much dramatic license do you do you get and and how closely do you have to stick to the facts can you talk a little bit about striking that balance for us so this genre really this genre really didn't exist in 2011 when i pitched it we made a trailer of just something i wanted to do it was actually called the industrial revolution when we started and i just put Industrial stuff to a ripomatic to um, ACDCs for those about to rock. And so, and it said like the bad boys of the 1880s. That was sort of like the idea behind it. But so there was no market for it when I pitched it. And then history actually just took a chance and just let me make this thing. But the difference in what these are is that I didn't have a lot of money. It was essentially the budget of a regular documentary, but it's filmed. So what I did was try to make it a script, kind of scripted and focus as much as I could on character. So the more I could dive into character, the less money I needed. <laughs> right. I didn't I didn't need the big stuff because I could actually just do small scenes of the people like you would see in a scripted show. And I actually come from a scripted background. I did a scripted, I used to be a screenwriter for studios and I've done documentaries and reality. So it was a mashup of the two. And so the idea was, can you watch this like you're watching a scripted show and just be totally into character. And so we, you know, in reality, I think we only tell like one or 2% of the history because if it doesn't have to do the character stakes, it's not really on the show. So in all of these, I'm telling one angle of a story. I'm trying to get like, the micro of the psychology of these people and how it affected the macro of the world we live in. So to say it, say it another way, I remember watching something. I was watching some documentary and it was about Thomas Edison. And so it was talking about Thomas Edison invented the light bulb to change the world. That's what the VO said. And I was just like, there's no way he did that. He didn't do it to change the world. He did it to like fill some void. I don't know, daddy issue, mommy issue, something. There was something. And so diving into that is what makes these so interesting because that's why we really do the stuff we do. Those, the two projects we've talked about so far uh, were for History Channel, but you've also done Making of the Mob for AMC, um, American Playboy for for Amazon. I just wonder because History is more of a factual channel, whereas AMC, I would probably consider more of a a drama channels like Amazon. So I I wonder whether that dramatic license has varied between the two, whether some of them you can just make it up and do a character piece, whereas for history, you have to stick a little bit closer to to what actually happened. I'm just, I wonder where the balance is there. We never make up what happened. Everything is based in true history. I don't always know what the conversations were, right? So I don't know, you know, when it comes to dialogue, which is used, and you're right, depending on the network, dialogue is either dialed up or dialed down. How much context there is versus how much character there is. But everything that happened, there has to be a source for. And usually with these things, there's no, I would say with the ones I've done, there's no one piece of source material. We're just using the world of books. So sometimes we'll run into two different versions of a story, and then we're looking for another version 
version. We're basically looking for as much backup as we can. And when you're putting these pieces together, like you say, you do have a scripted background. So does the writing and the development work like it does on a drama? Do you have a writer's room and the court board and, and, and all of that stuff? Or, or does it work more like a like a factual program? I would say both. We basically, usually what happens is, is I cover the walls of the conference room in note cards of the entire time period we're talking about. Because you're basically saying, oh, we're going to do 1900 to 1945. Just too big, right? And I, you know, six hours. <laughs> it's like, what are you going to cover? So I just start the wall, you know, just hundreds of note cards, everything. And then I just start looking at it and asking questions. And I actually, a lot of times take a string and start finding a storyline with the string in between. And sometimes I'll say, did Rockefeller and Carnegie ever meet? Like, were they ever in a room together? Because I know they didn't like each other, but could, you know, because, so that's where the script part comes in. It'd be great if we had a scene where they were glaring at each other, when they hated each other, but I won't put it in if we don't have it. So then it's, okay, then the researchers go. It's always just deep, deep research. And they I remember that one they found, Rockefeller actually showed up for the opening of Carnegie Hall, right? So they're in the room together and you know they don't like each other. So it's like, I'm always looking for, I'm looking for the, I'm trying to do the dramatic piece so that if you're watching it, the history means something to you so that you hear something and now it has to do with the character stakes. It's not just like a piece of information. And uh, I mean, obviously one of the, one of the advantages factual is meant to have over drama is you can do much more of it for, for much less budget wise. How are you able to produce what sounds like more of a scripted show than a, than a documentary? How are you able to produce that on a budget that works for say history channel? One of the keys is that I film, I truncate the schedule and I film two crews simultaneously. So when we did Titans, which I did completely during the pandemic, I actually filmed in Ireland during the pandemic because it seemed like Ireland was good at the time. Turned out to actually Ireland went into lockdown three days after we finished filming. But I filmed the whole thing in three weeks with two crews at the same time. So it's two crews at the same time with a lot of cameras going so that I don't have to do a lot of takes. And because I know that there's a lot of uh, crushes in this genre, right? So it's like, well, if the dialogue doesn't work, then I can have an interview come in or I can have, uh, you know, there are a lot of things I can do within it. It's actually a very hard genre to edit. I think it's the hardest I've ever worked in to edit because it kind of has to be, there's no format and the whole piece just has to be done by feel. But um, so actually the edit takes a long time, but that's only a few people sitting in rooms. So it's cheaper to do that. You touched on the pandemic there. Can you just give us the time scale of this and, and how it did affect you? It was pitched, sounds pitched and greenlit before the, the world fell apart and you managed to, to get the, the filming done before? No, it was greenlit and we started writing it um, in March of 2020, right? So right when the pandemic started, so that note card room turned just into my living room as I just was on Zoom constantly with people or on the phone. And so wrote it during the so we wrote it over basically March to August of 2020 filmed it in September so in like sort of the peak of the pandemic one of the waves and then uh and got lucky you know we had all kinds of protocol right I mean it was like a operating room set but it's still very difficult there's still a 
150 people on set every day. So we filmed it during that. We had all these rules and protocols and all of that. And then we then came back and edited. And actually, nobody got COVID until the end of the edit. One of our main editors who had been in his house the whole time got COVID. It obviously made it more difficult. It was how pretty much, stressful. Yeah. How much extra time and cost as well to productions does things like, like you say, protocol for 150 people on set? How much extra time is that taking? What's it adding to a budget for a show? It, has a, it added a lot. I mean, it well, it added a few hundred thousand dollars just because everyone's getting tested constantly. I, mean, I have a picture of us in the uh, production meeting. You know, you do a production meeting before the tech scout and the production meeting was in an airplane hangar and everyone was sitting 15 feet apart and the first AD is on the la- is on a bullhorn. <laughs> it's just, I'm like, I mean, I mean, yeah, I don't know exactly what's going to happen with this pandemic, but I'm hoping it's over. I don't know. Yeah, are you, I mean, are you probably stuff you can't tell us about, but are you in production? with with stuff now and and how is the situation now for, for for producers we're in production and it's full covid protocol still we just we don't know we don't know you know it's it's i think it's weird for production companies because you're making up the rules while asking lawyers constantly what should happen and looking for i feel like um we're constantly looking for some sort of you know somebody just tell us what to do and i don't think anybody really knows so we follow everything we can leonardo dicaprio is obviously attached to this um latest project can you talk a little bit about how that came about and what his input and and influence into it what were the advantages of of having a a big name like that involved yeah so when he was um i think it was the weekend before the oscars when he was going to win for the revenant when he won for the revenant he was doing all this press and we kept seeing over that weekend he kept talking about men who built america and his interviews how much he liked it and how it changed his view of things and right it was just really complimentary but by the time i saw i don't know how many articles a bunch by the end of that weekend i was like maybe we should call him and see if he wants to do something just a random cold call to DiCaprio's people. And uh, he did, he really liked that show. He obviously loves history. And so um, he likes true stories. And so he said he would be involved in that. And we've done a few projects with him. This is actually the fourth. I think there's the fourth one we're doing with him. And I have another one we're about to do with him. And so obviously, you know, he's, I guess, the biggest or one of the biggest stars in the world. So there's that advantage. But we also like working with them. They, I think we, we like, we, yeah, he's not going to do anything, but if you find the right story, they really get into it. They like the history. They have resources that I don't think we would be able, I mean, especially on this next one we're doing, their, their connections are amazing. So they can get us into um, archive. I don't know how we would be able to see otherwise. That's really helpful. I guess, I mean, it must help in the pitch if you can go in and say, oh, by the way, this guy's attached. But there has to be some, um, what the the trendy word at real screen is often authenticity, isn't it? There has to be a reason to attach A-list, uh, an, an A-list talent, I, I would guess, I'm guessing. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, um, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, like, oh, but I'm with him. That doesn't work so well. <laughs> I'm like the turtle of the entourage group of DiCaprio. I don't know how well that works, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, but yeah, that's why it's, you know, we'll, we work with them enough that while well, they've said no to plenty of things too, he has to actually really like it. So this one he liked, the next one we're doing, he really likes. We, it's, 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 um, has to be the, it has to be a subject matter he cares about. So what, um, what trends are you tapping into and seeing going forward? We hear a lot about escapism and, and things like that being a big trend at the moment. So obviously people have been locked down and are, are sick of pandemics and, and things like that. Is it, is, is escapism sort of high on your, 
on your agenda at the moment? What other trends are you are you seeing and trying to pitch into at the moment? But I, I you know, it's interesting. I'm I'm seeing a, a few of them. Same week we had uh, Titans uh, start airing. We had a show on Netflix start airing called Human, which was just a pure science show about the human body. I don't know if there's any escapism in it or not, but it did extremely well. Like I, I think yesterday it was number six on their you know top ten TV shows or whatever. It's been like up there all week, and so. I, I, so I see a little bit of uh, just something on the platform you're on, right? There's just there's just something of what do people consider to be TV now, right? Like, oh, there's nothing on. Well, what are you looking at to see that there's nothing on? Which is amazing that I and everyone else, you know, we're all watching eight hours of TV a day and can still say there's nothing on. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what to watch. I, I, I truthfully don't know what to watch next. Like, so then you start watching old shows. But I think that's a trend I'm seeing is what is TV anymore? Like, what do people consider to be TV? Meaning, what platforms are they looking at? The other thing that has been really great is um, diversity. Because they're all, you know, I love doing stories about history. And there's so much history that I've wanted to tell over the years that just wasn't happening for whatever reason, and now is. So I'm doing, I'm teamed up with somebody and doing a whole thing on African-American history. I'm doing Native American history. I'm doing a story about women. So I get to do all these shows that I just didn't get to do over the last, you know, six, seven, eight years. That's really exciting for me because even though I make a, I've made a lot of show shows about men, I tend to watch more shows about women. Like I've probably seen Downton Abbey all the way through five times. So my personal taste, you know, so I'm getting to do more stuff that has to do with my personal taste. There's been talk as long as I've worked in television about diversity and diversity of voice and things like that. Perhaps they were paying lip service to it. Is it is it different this time? You are finding that those projects are are landing now whereas obviously before you you couldn't get them through the door yeah now everyone's putting money behind them so, so it is actually, a, it is actually a, happening this time oh it's happening i mean i'm making them so <laughs> I, I and and uh and i think what's great about it is the history books or a lot of the stories that people know were written in a certain way and i would love to be a part of them being rewritten i don't know if uh, i've that's pretty lofty goal. But there's a real story of what's happened. And it's not the story that you've learned. There are diverse voices in how things actually happened. Steve and David speaking with Clive Whittingham. That's all for this episode, but there'll be more from the podcast next week. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.